Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The offseason is finally here, but we still have so much to talk about. Hello and welcome back to Charge On. As always, I am your host, Sean Green. We are presented by Bet Online. Guys, Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season, everything from NFL and bowl season to esports. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. We're the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE to receive your rewards. That's B-L-E-A-V to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. Now guys, I know this is a UCF pod, right? And we talk UCF, that's what we do, but... Um, you know, we're recording this on Wednesday and on Monday night, I think we'd be permiss not to talk about uh, DeMar Hamlin and that situation that happened in the Monday Night Football game. Uh, I mean, DeMar played for Pitt. He played against UCF a couple times um, and is a great player. I think, guys, and I want to get your guys' takes on it. I mean, I'm still shooken up about it, and I think most sports fans are. It's something that, you know, we all were watching the game and we all kind of saw it and I mean, I watched the TV for four hours. I mean, I watched the entire telecast broadcast. I watched Scott Van Pelt. Um, it's a scary... I, I can't remember a situation where I was that scared watching a sport. Only maybe a couple more times, but this just was a whole other level. Um, I feel for the players. I feel for his family. I feel for everybody involved, but especially... Um, my thoughts and prayers go out to DeMar Hamlin and his family. I can't imagine what the past 48, 72 hours have been. It's unimaginable. And, you know, we're not football players, right? We're not out on the field. But when some of these players say, oh, I'd give my life for this game, I would do anything for this game. I think now, I think players are really, after this incident, taking a long, hard look and saying, am I really willing to do that? And I don't think the answer is yes for anybody. It's a game. It's for our enjoyment. It's for our entertainment. And we love it. But I think if anything, this past couple days has shown all of us that there are things bigger than sports. I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way. And I mean, Nick, I want you to talk about this because you brought a great thing up on the J.P. Peterson show where and I get annoyed by it too when people say, "Well, it's just a game. It's it's just a game. 
Who cares? It's just a game. And us as sports fans, we get annoyed by that. I mean, it's one of the most annoying things you hear. But you come down to, and I love what you said, and I really want you to kind of reiterate it. It it is just a game. And stuff like this is just, it transcends the game and is so much more important when it comes to a life or death scenario where life is so much more important and crucial than a damn game. Yeah, and you know, you hear a word like CPR, especially like during a football game. It, it at least for me, it like took my breath away, and all of a sudden, like you're paying attention a lot closely because I mean, these all these guys, and this goes across all sports. It seems like they're all immune to you know seeing a guy go down the ground and and you know knowing that it's an injury and then having to kind of compartmentalize it and continue playing, right? And but when you hear CPR, right, and then you see. Tredevious White and you see Stephon Diggs and the tears and all that, it really hit home. And I think that's the thing. It's, you know, we don't even know who DeMar Hamlin is really, right? We've never met him. Nobody, a lot, all of us haven't. As fans, we have never met DeMar Hamlin. But there's a special bond or connection, whatever word you want to use, between fans and athletes. We feel like we know these guys to an extent, right? And we kind of live vicariously through them and it hits hard no matter who it is when you see something like that happen. And, and kind of like you said there, my thoughts were, you know, when people say it's just a game, but and when stuff like this happens, it's almost a reminder that it is just a game. And these guys aren't superhuman. They aren't superheroes. It's entertainment for us. Uh, to them, it's a, it's a job and it's a passion they get to live out, but it comes with a lot of risk and, uh, you know, stuff like this, it could happen to any of us. I think that's a reminder. But um, and even as I've continued to talk about this on today's show, I mean, I, I hate the circumstances, but I love the fact that, you know, his charities raised, you know, over six million dollars. Uh, it it kind of restores some of your faith in humanity uh, that we as Americans and, and just as people who care have stepped up uh, to do that. So, you know, all you can do is is, is pray and offer your thoughts, your prayers and um you know, we've gotten better updates today that it's trending in the right direction. So uh, that's all we can kind of do right now is wait and pray. 100%. We are linking the link to the charity down below. I mean, like you said, Nick, uh, I mean, he set a goal f- to raise $2,500. And I don't even think he got to that when they were doing it. And it's now surpassed over $6 million. So we are linking uh, that down below. If you can, please, I encourage you all whoever's watching to make a donation if you can. Uh, But yeah, the humanity in it. And again, I mean, it's such a great cause. And um, I mean, to see the sports world and the world in general, it's kind of, this has transcended sports and, you know, just waiting for the good news that he's awake and he's going to pull through is what I think we're all waiting for. Rob, give your kind of take on it. If there's anything you want to say before we dive into some UCF. Yeah. I mean, you know, incredibly, sad and unfortunate situation. I mean, you guys said it. I mean, you don't see this all too often. Thankfully, you don't see this all too often. But I mean, Nick kind of hit on it, you know, when sort of everybody in NFL fans, you know, football fans, football players are kind of just numb to, you know, seeing guys go down with like concussions and stuff like that. I mean, this season alone, we saw, you know, Tua Tungavailoa, for example, you know, get a concussion his first concussion, he gets up, starts stumbling down. They don't stop the game. They keep playing the game. Second game, he comes out, smacks his head off the ground. He's, you know, his hands are seizing up. 
and they don't stop the game. They keep going. This for something, you know, to really stop the game, cancel a game and, uh, you know, really put into question the rest of the season and stuff like that. I think it goes to show you how impactful something like this is. And I think even more than that, you're seeing just the impact it has around not just the football world and not just the sports world, but I think in the general population too. I mean, there's people I know that I work with that, you know, I've seen just in the general public who don't watch football, don't watch sports. They're like, oh, did you see what happened to that football player? Did you see what happened Monday night? It's just, it's one of those things that everybody's talking about and it's a hundred, you know, it takes up 24 hours of the news cycle on ESPN and Fox sports. And as well as it should, I mean, it's, you know, something absolutely worth talking about because it is so tragic. It is so just unique and, and strange that it happens like that. But, you know, I mean, enough can't be said about how the outpouring, I think from fans and players and just support that we're seeing through charity. Uh, you know, it sucks. It takes, a tragedy to have, you know, that support go to a good cause. But, you know, nonetheless, it is still a great cause that and it is great that it's happening, that people are donating millions of dollars and we have high profile athletes like Tom Brady donating to it. But no, I think it just you see just the humanity that goes around people and that their people are have a heart. And as, you know, trolling as Instagram, Facebook, Twitter are, you know, I think you're seeing a lot of people just doing good, you know, looking for updates on how he's doing, supporting the family, supporting the player. You know, you're seeing the NFL make some really positive strides with what they're doing in support and the decisions they're making, which is, you know, unfortunately something we don't say very often. We often criticize what the NFL does, um, but I think they're doing a, a decent job of, you know, keeping people in the loop and really just supporting a, a player that, you know, I think it's just, it's just so tragic. I mean, we don't see this all too often. Um, and, and hopefully we don't see it ever again. Um, you know, it's just such a strange thing that happens, but I mean, you see the players just on the sidelines and it brings in a question, you know, like Nick said, um, it is just a game and do they need to finish a game like that? Do, I mean, when people are like, well, what happens to the post? What happens to the playoffs? What happens to the game? Who cares? Who cares? This is a man's life on the line that his teammates and, and the opposing team is, is watching this guy on the floor getting CPR with an ambulance. I mean, for nine minutes uh, is what was reported. I mean, how do you expect them to go back in the game and be like, all right, let's, let's hike the football. Let's go. Let's play. I mean, you can't, you can't, this is something that is bigger than football. It's bigger than sports. It's, it's human life and everything has to stop for that. Uh, you know, for the sake of someone's health, when, when someone's life is on the line and you saw it from the players, I mean, you saw so many players just distraught. Uh, on the sideline, you knew that it was bad. You knew that this was going to be a tragic moment. So it's something that, you know, unfortunately, I think everybody's going to remember, you know, maybe not necessarily remember where they were, but they're going to remember seeing it and remembering that it happened. And it's unfortunate that, you know, it takes a lot of, it, we see finally see humanity in the weakest moments of some people's lives. And it, it's, it's tragic and it's horrible, but it is good to see that there's still humanity in the mind of sports fans and the mind of people in the general public. People really do care. People really do care about other human beings that, you know, we don't really know. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing we all love about the sports world is, and that's, I think why we're all in it is, you know, regardless of who you're a fan of at the end of the day, everybody has the same love. They love the game that they're watching and that's that's at the core of sports. So um, obviously praying every day to hear some great news and to hear that he's 
awake and and gonna pull through. That's I think what every single sports fan and person in the entire world is waiting to hear. So thoughts and prayers as we have been for the past couple days going out to Demar Hamlin and his family and everybody that calls him a friend as well. All right. Now that we talked about that, let's let's talk some UCF. I mean, we're going to talk about the one big thing. Uh, there's obviously a lot of news happening, you know, with Transfer Portal. And I think that's going to be an episode we'll probably do in the next week or two. Because the Transfer Portal, as we know, boys, is an ever-changing cycle of chaos. I don't know. Every day there's a new player and new player out. So it's very hard to keep up. We have our core guys that we have... Tra- brought in as transfers. UCF has a top 10 transfer class, which, you know, we're waiting on a couple guys, Antonio Greer specifically, to determine where he's going to go. Uh, the Harris twins, are they going to be joining the class of 23? We don't know. We will find that out in the coming weeks. But big topic today is UCF has hired their new offensive coordinator, and it is not a guy that is just going to stand on the sideline and not do anything. This is a guy that is going to start calling plays as Gus Malzahn has given up officially his play calling duties. Uh, Darren Henshaw, I mean, UCF fans, if you have been a fan for this long, I wasn't alive when he played quarterback. But, you know, you learn about the UCF history and you really find out about the previous players. Dante Culpepper was right after him and really put on, but... Darren Henshaw, former UCF quarterback, four-year starter, um, brought him to the 93 FCS playoffs. Uh, Third in yards, second in touchdowns, was a grad assistant in 99 and a quarterback coach in 2004 UCF. Then he kind of started his coaching career. Uh, I think he really won me over in the press conference today. And uh, we'll get into everything, my tweet, some of the replies I got, and much more. But I want to get the thoughts from my two other hosts here. Nick Geddes, I mean... What did you initially think of the hire? What do you think about it now? I will say the press conference, if there's anything you could take away from this hire, is that he bleeds black and gold. He loves this place. And I think you got an offensive coordinator that if he really shines here and does a great job, I don't think he's leaving to go take another job. I think that is the one constant is if he does a good job, he's probably staying here. Yeah, he went as far to say that it's a dream job and and why how could it not be when you go look at the history? I mean, he left UCF as as their uh their most accomplished passer uh when his call when his uh, playing days were over. I mean, he cut his teeth in the coaching ranks as a graduate assistant here. Uh, and what stood out to me, it's like you can kind of look through his coaching file and maybe a lot of people weren't familiar with his work, but I think it's pretty impressive, and the fact that he spent you know the last eight years, save the the t- last season at UAB, before that eight years in a row at the SEC at at uh, you know Tennessee and a Kentucky. Uh, he, he was at Middle Tennessee back in the day as an offensive coordinator, and they were highly successful. Uh, Kentucky for, for three years, at the first three years he was there was rolling and hadn't put up some of their their best numbers as an offense ever. Uh, even Tennessee, I think their third most ever their third best offense they've ever had. And then from out Tennessee here, it was under Darren Henshaw being the OC back in 2012. So there's a lot of things to like there when you look at the file. And in regards to the big news is the fact that he's going to be the play caller. I think the CEO kind of style as a head coach in college football is, is kind of, I don't know if it's a new wave necessarily, but you know, Gus Malzahn has kind of kind of said that today as well, that in this day and age, it's getting harder and harder to try to be a play caller 
as well as the head coach. And I look at some of the most successful programs and, and go look at the ones that are at the top of college football uh, at TCU. They have a you know a young up and coming offensive coordinator who calls plays. Georgia offensive coordinator calls plays. Uh, Michigan has an offensive coordinator that calls plays. Alabama, Nick Saban's the ultimate CEO, right? So I think that's kind of you look at the best examples of the schools that are succeeding, and that's the way it's going. So uh, I think it's a big kudos to Gus Malzahn to to set a, to set the play calling duties aside. And like I said, the more you look into Henshaw's file, I think there's a lot to like there. Yeah, and after it got announced, some people on Twitter were uh, saying this hire doesn't scream to me that Gus is giving up play calls and that Gus is probably going to keep the play calling duties. But Gus was very adamant in this press conference. He made it very clear he is giving up all play calling duties. And when asked about quarterback play or bringing in extra quarterbacks, he goes, that's up to Darren. That's not up to me. I mean, I have so much other things I got to do. If there are coaches that are still being the head coach and calling plays, I commend them. I give them all the credit in the world because it's almost impossible to do nowadays. And I think coming into it, I think a lot of UCF fans, there are concerns. I mean, we'll go into it, but I think Rob, he definitely in this press conference said a lot of things that UCF fans have wanted to hear, specifically throwing the ball deep. I mean, that's been the talking point. We'll get into it on this show, but the last couple of years, it has been a lot of screen plays, a lot of quick out routes, not a lot of deep plays. And Darren Hinshaw came out today and said, we are going to throw the ball deep. So what does that say to you for a new offensive coordinator? Yeah, I think it shows that, you know, at least, you know, maybe Hinshaw recognizes it as well already, but I think it shows that Gus Malzahn does recognize the issue with the offense and the inconsistency with the offense. Uh, and I think that's a positive, uh, you know, seeing that, hey, maybe the screen plays and, you know, all these short passes and all these runs, maybe that's not just what works. You know, maybe we shouldn't just double down on those and, and hope that's what wins us the game. I think they realize, okay, if we're going to beat some of these teams, you're going to have to throw vertically. You're going to have to throw deep. Um, and that's what they talked about. They said, you know, getting some of those plays where you can throw it, where the quarterback can throw vertically is going to be very, very important to this offense. Um, and I think that it can't be said enough that that is the fresh attitude to have going into next season saying, Hey, maybe what we were doing before isn't working, but we're going to try to amend that. And we're going to try to fix that regardless of who's playing at quarterback. We're going to try to incorporate that into our offense and, really, you know, take it to teams where it's not just short passes and they can adjust to the, and then defenses can adjust to that sort of play calling all the time because you're a one trick pony. But now you add that to your arsenal. Now you're starting to look like, you know, I don't want to get, uh, you know, put the horse before the cart here, but you know, you're starting to get into territory where it's looking like a UCF offensive old, at least, you know, playbook wise, where yes, there's these short, quick passes. There are these long runs. There are these, you know, crafty plays, but also there's these deep passes that can be absolutely exploding plays and just completely catch the defense off guard. And I hope that's more what UCF is moving towards. Um, you know, they've kind of strayed away from that the last couple of years, but I think he said everything right. I mean, when they first announced uh, that Darren Henshaw would be taking over as offensive coordinator, I think I was just kind of whelmed, not really overwhelmed, not underwhelmed, just, you know, kind of, okay, let's see what he's got. And I think there's, there were some general concerns at the announcement saying, oh, well, he actually didn't call a lot of the plays at UAB. Well, he addressed that in his press conference today and say, no, I, I called plays, you know, at every down. Uh, so, 
just, I think, reinstilling confidence into the fan base is a positive sign that he's here to make a difference. He's here to change up how UCF plays. And I think that can't be more helpful at this time. I mean, you, you have to get somebody with a fresh mind, even even if you don't think he's capable of the job, uh, you know, even if you're disappointed with the hire. You know, I, I know a lot of people wanted Scott Frost, but, you know, I think somebody with a fresh attitude like this that is going to be controlling the play calling, um, I think, is an overwhelming positive. Yeah, he wanted to make it very clear today. He wanted to make it very clear. I have called plays throughout my career as a quarterback even I was tasked to call plays in the huddle without the offensive coordinator. And that changes. I mean, you look at some of the best OCs in the business today. They were quarterbacks. I mean, look at Josh Heupel. There's a reason Josh Heupel has been successful. I mean, it probably does help that you were a quarterback and you had to kind of learn plays on the fly, call plays on the fly when you have to do that in certain situations. And yeah, that was one of the bigger knocks is a lot of people were looking at his resume and saying, how many times was he an OC and how many times did he actually call plays? And he said, I maybe wasn't the OC at some of these places, but I was calling plays and I had a significant play on the playbook at a lot of these stops. Nick brought it up uh, where he had two SEC stops for multiple years. He was at Tennessee from 2010 to 2012 and Kentucky from 2016 to 2020 with Mark Stoops. Now, Kentucky at that time, I mean, they had quarterback troubles for that. It was either injuries, uh, players leaving. They had a bunch of injury problems, and they still performed very well. But in Tennessee, Rivals.com had him as a top 10 recruiter in college football in 2012. Now, I mean, again, that was one of my biggest things, is how is he as a recruiter? I mean, he's recruiting Florida, Tennessee, Texas, Alabama, Georgia, and a lot of those stops. So I think, listen, you get a guy that bleeds black and gold dream job, right, Nick? But you're also getting a guy that has recruited in a lot of these spots. And it helps that he played quarterback here. It helps that he was in the area. And again, you can continue bringing that recruiting trail, you know, hierarchy up because you're going to still get those top guys because you're bringing a guy that knows how to recruit the top players. Yeah, and and he knows UCF, like you mentioned. He knows UCF like the back of his hand, I'm sure. And he's not too far removed from being here, obviously, as an analyst under Gus. So, and he's got those relationships, even like the experience in Cincinnati, for example, when he was there for three or four seasons, whatever it was. Like, even that would help out as well. And especially, obviously, that's a that's a rival going into the Big Twelve. So, yeah, the recruiting aspect is a, is a big part of it. Um, you know, the other thing that I've been thinking about is okay, does he have a style of, you know, quarterback that he's looking for? Because let's be honest, I mean, all the quarterbacks that we're looking at in the room next year, and I don't think it's a given that John Rice Plumley is going to be the guy, especially not right now. Um, they've all been kind of, you know, Gus kind of prototypes. And it sounds like based on what he wants to do, it's a little bit different uh, I think that there's some versatility to his career of some of the guys that he's worked with on an offense. Like, like I go back to like the Tennessee days and like Tyler Bray was a very traditional quarterback that put up a lot of yards uh, being a, just a traditional pocket passer. And then when he was at Kentucky and they had quarterback issues, if you recall, Lynn Bowden, who was one of the more uh, exciting players for a few years there at Kentucky, uh, and they had to even put him at quarterback for a little bit. He was able to make that work from a running standpoint, at least. So there's some versatility there. 
So I think I'm kind of, and that's what I'm really curious to see. And he said, you know, we're going to train these guys and we're going to train them this way. And I think that's the thing. I want to see who's going to show the most growth because we've got about seven, eight months here to figure out who quarterback one's going to be. And I'm interested to see when we get to spring practices and stuff like that, who's going to be showing that growth here and that what he keeps saying as we're going to train them, who's going to be that guy. So I, I think there's a lot of possibilities here. Now, Nick, here's my my follow-up for you, okay? Obviously, it's never easy for a head coach to give up play. I saw a good thing on Twitter last night, and it, 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 it can rain true in some instances, right? As a head coach or any coach, giving up play-calling duties is almost kind of like a sign of defeat. Now, you can kind of sense it in the press conference. Now, I agree. I think... I think many UCF fans can agree that some of the Gus play calling has been a little stagnant over the last couple of years and some fresh new ideas would benefit the offense greatly. That's what was even said at the press conference. Gus said, I'm excited for some fresh new ideas, but you could sense from Gus. I mean, he said, Oh, well at one time we had the number five offense in the country. And you know, I told Terry right after then I was, I was, you know, we need to get a new OC. So you could tell like, he's like, listen, I still have it. I just am giving it up. When a new OC like this comes in, and they made it very clear, Darren made it very clear, listen, there is an open quarterback competition. I let all the quarterbacks know. There's not a starter going into next year. It's an open QB competition. They didn't say anything about transfers, so there's a potential that they go after a transfer because they they didn't shoot it down. Gus said it's up to him. My question is, Nick, if you go into next, you know, uh, you go into the spring, John Rice is not going to be there in the spring, and you go into the fall, I mean, your new OC is going to be there all spring with all three of the other quarterbacks, Tommy, Timmy, Dylan. Somebody's going to show out in the spring and you're going to have Coach Hinshaw saying, okay, I like this guy. This guy to me is probably going into the fall, the starter. You don't think like, listen, Gus clearly loves John Rice. He clearly wants John Rice to be the guy. Do you think there's a potential of butting heads potentially when Gus gives up that power, now granted, Gus is the CEO and he can make that decision, but do you think at some point there might be a little of battering heads if you're like, listen, maybe I want Timmy McLean, but Gus is like, uh, John Rice. I know he didn't do spring, but John Rice is our guy. We had him all year last year. So what do you see from that potentially? Not that it's going to happen. I'm just saying potentially. Well, I mean, I can only go off of what has been said. And at the press conference, like even when he was asked that question about the transfers, he says, well, it's up to Darren. So in my opinion, the starter, I understand that Gus is the CEO. He's going to make the final call. But to me, Darren should have the most input. I mean, at least as at least as much as Gus. I know it's going to be a collaborative effort. I know Gus hitched his wagon to John Rice Plumley, but let's be completely honest here. He hitched his wagon to John Rice Plumley, and this team went nine to five. I mean, nine and five is nine and five. You know, what do we walk away? We go, well, it was, above average. Yeah, it was a it was a solid season. It was a solid season. Probably too many expectations. We talked about that all year long. But nine and five is nine and five. That's what John Rice Plumley led you to. And as I was pointing out to you, there was like five games this year where the offense scored you know less than twenty points. So even though at one point they were top five in the offense, a bit inflated. So. I think everything's, like I said, I think everything's on the table. So if Darren Henshaw decides he thinks that he needs to go in a different direction, maybe that somebody runs this offense better than, than John Rice Plumley. You got, you got so many options. 
I mean, I, I told you that my the dark horse for me was Timmy McLean coming into it. Uh, I have to see Timmy McLean to see if he's that kind of guy that can push the ball downfield, like like uh, Darren was talking about there. I have to see there, uh, but I have to see the same thing about Thomas Castellanos. I will say about John Rice Plumley when they did throw it downfield, I think he did make some plays. They just didn't really go to it enough, in my opinion. So, uh, but yeah, open competition. But I think to answer your, the first part of your question there, uh, if you're going to give Darren free, if you're going to give Darren Hinshaw free reign, and you're going to put it out there publicly, if he wants a transfer quarterback, that's up to him then the starter, in my opinion, should be close up to him as well. Yeah, no, and that's kind of, I, listen, I think if Gus seemed very open in this presser. I mean, uh, I was a little, maybe not surprised, but it, it took me aback a little bit with just some of the stuff. Rob, one thing, I, I talked with you earlier about it, where I said, Gus made a very interesting comment and I want to get your take on it and maybe even next to because I found it very interesting Darren says we're going to push the ball down the field I mean we're going to go vertical we're, we're like we're this is we're going to get the ball down the field and Gus when the reporter asked Gus after Gus is like listen I'm I'm all for some fresh ideas and you know when he says push the ball down I get excited I mean that excites me why didn't he do it before now I get I get it right like Listen, UCF still had a top offense in the country. So it is, you know, I'm not saying our offense was terrible, but I think we can all agree the inconsistencies. It's not just on the quarterback. It could be on the play caller. So when Gus is like, oh, that excites me. It's like, okay, then why didn't we do it more? Why wasn't it that you're saying, oh, that excites me so much? It's like, okay, well, if you're the play caller, if you were the play caller last year, why didn't we push the ball down the field more? If that excites you so much about a new OC. So what kind of did you get from that? And I know it excites me to hear that, and I bet it excites our wide receivers. But if I'm Gus Malzahn, who's the play caller, why weren't we doing it a little bit more last year in many opportunities where you could have? Yeah, I don't know if Gus has, you know, had an epiphany after the season or something, but I don't know. It's definitely an encouraging statement here. I mean, there are words, you know, it's a press conference. It's easy to hear that in January and then, you know, by the time September and October roll around of this year, you know, if that's not actually being put into action and things have changed, you know, eight months down the line, well, then those are just words. But I like to think Gus is a man of his word. I'd like to think that Gus, you know, you can teach an old dog new tricks. I'd, li- I'd like to think, you know, he's a little bit more uh, progressive in that mindset where he's willing to change. He's willing to hand over the reins and say, here, you know, you handle this. I think you got this. I got full faith in you. You know, he's still obviously going to have his influence and he's still going to have his contribution. But no, I mean, if he's fully handing over the reins, I think you got got to do that in all aspects. But no, I mean, as far as why he didn't do it during the season, I don't know. I, I don't know what his mindset was. I don't know if he's, again, I don't know if he's realized the error of his ways after, you know, the season and said, hey, man, the, the last five games of the season, we really sucked offensively. We were really inconsistent. We were really bad offensively. Um, or maybe during the season, he just doubled down on everything and was like, you know what? It may not be working, but sooner or later it will. You know, I trust I trust it. Maybe he was blinded by some of that trust. I, I, I don't know. I don't really – I can't get in the head of Gus Malzahn. But, I mean, if, if regardless of what happened during the season, why he didn't change his mindset, you know, I, I, at least now he is. 
you know, at least now he's saying he will. And at least now he's seemingly leaving the playbook in the hands of the offensive coordinator. And so hopefully that does change because like I said earlier, getting those vertical passes, getting those deep passes into a playbook that, you know, does have some creative plays, does some have, have some trick plays in there that can fool defenses. And you have, you know, if John Rice ends up being the guy again next year, uh, you know, having a guy like that that can pull off, you know, some of these trick plays, some of these craftier, you know, run plays and screen plays, having a guy that can pull that off, you know, is is definitely going to help. And, you know, we saw a little bit of what he can throw downfield. He's not the most accurate guy. He's not, he doesn't have the most powerful arm, but he can do it. And And I think just incorporating that into the playbook, you know, shows that, it wasn't all on John Rice Plumley, and I'm not. I'm not defending John Rice, saying he needs to be the starter. He needs to be given another chance. But I definitely don't think Gus put him in the best position to succeed when the playbook was the way it was. Um, you know, I think it was very, very flawed. Uh, it had a lot of holes in it, and maybe that's you know playing to the strength of the quarterback that you have. You know, playing to his strengths. But no, I, I, I just it is mind-boggling why Gus didn't try to do it during the season, but. You know, if if that's his mindset moving forward now where, you know, he's being a little bit more progressively minded, I think that's that's a step in the right direction towards getting this UCF offense back on track ahead of next season. Yeah, we actually got told on one of our comments, I think it was a YouTube video, that we were too easy on John Rice, which I found very interesting because, I mean, I think we are probably one of the harder uh, podcasts to go at John Rice. But again, we keep it honest here. I, f- I flat out um, said after the bowl game, sorry to interrupt you, I flat out said after the bowl game loss that I don't think John Rice Plumlee is, should be the starter of this team. <laughs> no, I know. And that's why I'm, I was a little confused. But like, again, I do, I do not think a lot of the problems were just on John Rice. I think you have to give it equally to play calls in those moments. And that's why, listen, if John Rice is your cutie... Uh, cutie wow if John Rice is your quarterback next year I mean if the play calls fit the offense and fit what John Rice can do I think listen I think part of it is Gus was trying to play into John Rice John Rice's strengths right and that's maybe why there were no deep passes and that's why he's like oh I'm excited because he knows Darren's gonna come in and see listen Let's see who can throw the ball down the field. I mean, is it John Rice? I don't know. We're not going to see him in spring. So it's like all of your new plays that you want to test out. And then you also have the notion of you're going to be testing a new playbook in spring. You're going to be seeing what works and what doesn't. John Rice is going to be light years behind the other QBs, right? And he already was. I mean, last year he had to come in, learn the playbook. This year he's going to be learning a new playbook. The other quarterbacks are going to be ahead of him. So, I mean... It's an open it's an open competition. I don't care what anybody says. If if Gus was doing the play calls, I think we can go into next year assuming JRP instant starter. But with a new playbook, we're on a whole other territory here. I know by the way this this I don't even know if I should even bring this up because it's all it's old news obviously, but does this just make it eh. worse that Mikey Keane's not in this building because oh. it because it just feels like I don't know. Like I, we have, like like we said, we have a lot of like a lot of like Gus prototypes, and certainly Mikey Keene doesn't fit that billing. And now you have a new OC who seems like he wants to push the ball down the field and take shots, and has history working with quarterbacks that have a lot more qualities like a Mikey Keene. I mean, does that just kind of like sting just a little bit? A lot for a lot of people. At least it, I'm just thinking about it right here, and I know that it. I mean, there's nothing you could really do about it anymore, but it just kind of. 
I think he would have a new lease on life right now if he was still here. Oh, Nick, the keen stands are are loving and, you right now. And Fresno oh. State just lost their offensive coordinator. Yeah. So he's leaving. Did. So it's going to be a brand new offensive coordinator too to join Mikey. It would take uh Hinshaw saying to Mikey, "You come back, you're my starter." It, that's what it would take. Um, I'm a Mikey. No, Keen's and that's why I Oh, we I love Mikey. I love Mikey. But here's the thing. I agree with you, Nick, but I think if anything, that just can maybe solidify that he might look in the transfer portal. He might go try to find a guy that he's like, listen, I like the quarterbacks we have on the roster, but let me go look in the transfer portal. Let me take a dip and see, is there a quarterback that I think is going to, that could work way better in my system than somebody we have on the roster right now. And if you could find that guy, go get him, test him out, see if he can do anything. I think the guys on the roster are capable and talented. And I think you can do what you want with the guys on a roster. The one question mark is, can they throw it deep accurately, number one, and at a high clip that makes this offense or could make this offense successful? That's what it's going to come down to. But let's get to my tweet. I'm putting it up on the screen right now. Got a bunch of replies to this uh, that I found very interesting. I kind of knew what UCF fans were going to say to this uh, just because I know how I think and I know how UCF fans think. I just put... Stats, as the OC of last year's team, now Rob mentioned it, I guess he wasn't calling all the plays all the time. I mean, the head coach clearly wanted the run game to be the number one thing. You're going to get that very similarly here at UCF. I think Gus is, listen, there's no secret. He wants to run the football. But in the tweet, like you see right here, UAB in passing was 104th. UCF was 57th, which I think would surprise a lot of UCF fans, but UCF was 57th at passing in the country. Um, rushing, UAB was 8th. UCF was 9th. So virtually the same. And then red zone offense, UAB was 112th, and UCF was 111th. And all I said was, what do you think? I wanted people to tell me what they thought because I just wanted to see what they thought of those stats. Big mistake. Now, what? big mistake on my part. But I didn't give my opinion on the hire. I just wanted to hear what others thought. Well, I was not talking any trash about our new OC. I just wanted to hear your thoughts every single time. Um, Dennis said, definitely not the splash hire many expected. I, I Guys, I mean, I, I would tend to agree with that. Well, well I think I was... Well, hold up though. Like, what what is a splash hire? And by splash hire, Nick, I think Dennis and I think many UCF fans... Number one, Scott Frost, probably, which we all knew. We all discussed why that was not happening. I mean, the reasons, <laughs> Nick, I'm not saying I I told you not we weren't okay. getting Scott Frost, well, and I didn't even say I wanted yeah, Scott Well, everybody Frost. needs to get, on, get out of fantasy land and fantasy <laughs> island and get off the Twitter machine and, and be a realist. I'm going to say it again for all you that want to splash higher. We are in, we are in a new conference. We are in the middle of that conference. There are, what is a splash hire? What do you call that? Like, <laughs> oh my goodness. Like, I'm not trying to be I know, Mr. I know. I'm not trying to be Mr. Doubly Downer, but please stop overselling the program. Please. Okay. No, I know. No, one, no, I one's, know. no one's going, no one's poaching anybody that's working at freaking Clemson or, or Alabama. A, a we're not doing Georgia. that here. Yeah, we're not doing that here. I, not, well, at least not right now. We're not I, doing that here. <laughs> 
Well, I assumed my thought process was if with what I was thinking, Gus was going to go get like a wide receiver coach or something from an SEC school. Because if there's anything I we know about Gus, he get it, go get a coach in his coaching tree. I was just assuming that was what's going to happen. So I'm like, oh, there's probably some coach at Georgia or Auburn or Tennessee or somewhere that was in his coaching tree that he's going to go get to be the OC. So yeah, that was what I was expecting. Hey, well, there was a splash hire this made is- today, but you want to know, there was a splash hire made today. You know who it was? Bobby Petrino. Who? Who's hired at Texas A&M. There's a splash hire. Does anybody, what, what's the, is there anybody that, uh, that's perceived a splash hire, but obviously every A&M fan seems a little pissed off about it. And we're all going to hate that. Him and Jimbo is going to be an awful combination and we're going to hate that. That's a splash hire, right? A quote unquote splash yeah. hire because it's a name. And I bet you it won't work. I bet you Here's it won't the thing, work. Nick. I if if we would have hired him, I guarantee you'd be the same thing. Half UCF fans probably wouldn't know who he was, so they'd be like, "Who is that? Like, who? What has he done?" So you know, it's it's a good mix of UCF fans. And listen, you gotta you gotta love it. Um, Pete said, "What talent did he have to work with? Who did they play against? Are we really comparing apples to apples?" Which I liked, and I agree. And I was just, and again, I was not saying my thoughts. I was just sharing with all of you. I agree. Obviously, guys, the talent at UAB is much different than the talent at UCF. No question. I mean, completely different. I think what I was trying to show is maybe even just the similarities. I mean, clearly, at UAB, he was a run-first offensive coordinator. I know the head coach clearly wanted to run the ball. He listened to his head coach. He wanted to run the football. Um, Mike said he didn't call plays. Uh, on Twitter, he said he didn't call plays. We heard today he did call plays. Um, maybe it wasn't every single time, but he did call plays. Uh, and he was the OC there. But Rob, I mean, clearly the talent was not obviously the same as UCF. That's an obvious stat. But I do think, and tell me if I'm wrong here, I do think some of those stats you can clearly look at the two and say, listen, yeah, you can't look at the talent and say it's the same, but. When you look at, they were uh, eighth in rushing. I mean, they were eighth in the country in rushing. We were ninth. So you could take the, oh, they they don't have the better players. They still have similar stats to you. So do you agree with that assessment? That Listen, I think that's a very similar OC to kind of the style that you were playing last year. Yeah, I mean, definitely the stats reflect that. I mean, there is a point to be made. I mean, it is Conference USA. You know, UCF was there at one point. but no, I mean, obviously the de- defenses are a little bit inferior even to that of the AAC. Um, but no, I mean, it's still success is success. And I mean, as, as long as he's finding success, even in, you know, the lower leagues of college football, I mean, that's still a positive to take away. Now, obviously, you know, the proof's going to be in the pudding when, you know, he hits the field for UCF, um, you know, and takes on the playbook there and here and, you know, is playing against Big 12 opponents. Um but no, I mean, success is success. At the end of the day, you know, yet you can only beat what's in front of you. And that, I mean, that's a that's a phrase we've heard since UCF's claim to a national championship, right? You can only beat who's in front of you. You can only beat who's in front of you. Uh, you know, so, I mean, the fact that he found success against other conference USA opponents and, and even out of conference opponents, I mean, still, it's it's success. It's not anything, you know, to, to go crazy about. But still, I mean, he's putting up good numbers, you know, with a conference USA team. And I think... I mean, it still is a positive. Um, Chuck called it weak. Chuck doesn't like to hire. Um, 
GKCU, Go Night Charge on on Twitter, posted an emoji of a dog pooping. So <laughs> that's a way to feel. That's a way to say words. Um, and Mike, I mean, yeah, you don't need to say who, words. Who, you just post an emoji. Repeat the name. Repeat the name. Who tweeted it? It was well. It was at Billy Bob Frieder one posted the emoji. Oh, Billy Bob Frieder one, huh? <laughs> yeah. Hey, he's a Knights fan. Go Knights charge on. Listen, <laughs> I, I, I just wanted I just wanted everybody's opinion. He is allowed to have that opinion. And so it's a funny emoji, I will say, or a GIF. My bad. It's a funny GIF. Um, but I respect the opinion. And then Mike Marsh said, I just I don't think he will be bringing UAB players just to relax, which, again, I never said I didn't like the hire. I was just posting stats from a team that he was the offensive coordinator and our stats where we were last year. Just again, want to make that very clear. So I'm relaxed, Mike. I am very relaxed. (laughs) I'm cool, calm, collected. I am very cool, calm, collected about this. If there's anything you got from this pod, I was cool, calm and collected. I I think Sean reading Um, mean tweets uh, from the UCF Twitter mafia should be a weekly segment. I don't really get many mean tweets. We we get our fair share, which we all appreciate and love you guys. But um, so yeah, to end on right because Nick's just Nick's just tired. Nick's just done. Um, at UAB, and just to end on a positive note for maybe UCF fans, I, I'll be honest. I was won over by him in the press conference. I mean, when we hired him. I did research. I really wanted to see what he's done in his coaching career. He has had many different offenses. He definitely likes that. He is a tempo offense guy. He's brought different offense, kind of the similar offense to all these places, but it's changed it up for the school he's at. I think that will really help UCF. And at UAB, UAB, he set records in total yards, rushing yards, yards per game, and rushing yards per game. I mean, set records in one year at the school. I think he can do some really good things. I think... You have to give him time to see what he can do. And like I said, to start, the good thing about him is he bleeds black and gold. And guess what? If he starts lighting it up in the Big 12 and he's one of the best OCs, he's probably not leaving UCF for any job. You're not going to see him as a one and done like Chip Lindsey, who now granted, Chip Lindsey, I'm sure he's going to do great things in North Carolina. But he didn't call plays this year. He was a head coach, so I'm not going to knock him. But he didn't call plays this year. G.J. Ken- Kenny, he went to, uh, oh gosh, Incarnate World. He's now a Texas Southern or some, uh, Texas what? I said it was Incarnate Wood you were looking for there. Oh, it's Incarnate Wood. I'll see. You know, I was close. I mean... It's impressive I, got, I remembered it, if we're being completely honest. Um, Texas State, by the way. But head coach Texas State. Texas State. Head coach Texas State. Uh, I mean, you've had two OCs leaving two years with Gus. I think he's going to stay. I think this is a guy that can stay. You can build, and that will only help recruiting with these guys that, listen, they're going to come for Gus, and they're going to come for their certain position coaches, but it also is going to help in the sense of, hey, we're going to have that consistency on offense. If I'm a receiver, I know I'm going to get the ball in these situations. And that will only help your program moving forward. And by the so, way, and by the way, too, in, about uh, the press conferences and, and people having a negative backlash, I remember, because I was there when, when Travis Williams was introduced as the defensive coordinator, and he was a very popular hire. 
Everybody loved it. Everybody said we were going to have this fantastic defense. And as we've gotten into it at this point, the defense was essentially like this from 2021 to 2022. Not much improvement. Uh-huh. And we all walked away to where the point where Travis William left. And is anybody like crying, boohooing over it? I don't think so. Lesson there, you just don't know. You just don't know. I mean, we'll we'll probably sit here in, in a year from now and, and and replay this episode and we'll be completely off base for all we know. Who knows? Right? But you know, that's just the business. That's the business. I'm not it gonna is. I'm not no, gonna take is. a crap on it though. I'm not gonna take a crap on any hire unless unless it's like a head coach thing where it's a little bit more easy to evaluate. I'm not taking a crap on it on an assistant being hired. I'm not. Well, and I will say a lot of a lot of the people that were not happy about it, I think, have quickly quickly changed their mind after the press conference. Very passionate press conference, over 20 minutes talking, very long answers, which I'm excited about because he seems like a guy that is really going to give thoughtful answers to every question, which I think, especially on offense, you know, you kind of want. No offense to last year, but it, it just seemed like whenever there was a specific question that needed to be answered, it never got answered. We never got questions to the things we want to know. So I think that will also be a good thing is some clarity on decision-making and what it goes on into his decision-making process. I'm excited. And the first glimpse we'll see is in a couple months when we get that spring game and see who potentially is going to be your starter next year, to be completely fair. Um, Nick, final thoughts before we close out the episode. Yes, as I uh, just to echo a little bit what I said, I am very optimistic about the hire because I'm not going because I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that I've been following his entire career. I think like all of us, we've kind of done our homework a little bit on Darren Henshaw to see what he's done. I think there's things that are encouraging there that are going to give him a shot. Uh, Obviously, he's got a lot of experience working with Gus. I think that's a key and at this point, I'm just trying to see who the quarterback. I mean, that's I know we have a long time to figure that out. We're never gonna I don't think we're gonna get an answer. We might not get an answer until the first series of the first game, for all we know, to be honest with you. So we got a long way to go. But uh, I think that's my biggest thing is I want to see how these quarterbacks are gonna look a little different. Maybe spring practice will get some tails uh to see if this offense is gonna change a little bit. Uh, but at the moment, UCF through and through is back home. And I think that's good for the program. Rob, final thoughts on our new OC, Darren Henshaw. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say I'm cautiously optimistic, um, not even just for what I think he can bring, um, because I think like Nick said, you know, it's kind of difficult outside of the head coaching position, especially in college football, to really evaluate what a guy can bring unless he's, you know, some superstar offensive coordinator that's, you know, done big things at big programs. But I mean, this is, you know, it's a hire that I think maybe is not going to knock your socks off, but you know, it could end up being good for UCF long-term and getting a guy in that, you know, again, embodies that mentality that Gus and company have been bringing with the hometown heroes. I mean, yeah, you're seeing it here into the coaching. Now you're, you're seeing a coach offensive coordinator is a big position at coach, you know, having a guy, another hometown hero, it just puts that, philosophy further uh it pushes it further so you know i'm i'm cautiously optimistic um you know i think the press conference uh as you guys have said 
you know, I think it's it's a reason to be positive. It's a reason to be optimistic. I just want it to be true. I want it to be, you know, I want it to be in action. I don't want it to be just words and, you know, words for the media and, and what the media and what the fans want to hear ahead of the season. I want it to be actually in effect. I don't want halfway through the season, if Gus doesn't like what he sees, I don't want him to pull back and be like, all right, give me the playbook again. I'm going to be handling this a little bit more and and kind of, you know, knock Darren uh, Darren Himbush off of, you know, offensive coordinator duties and play calling duties. And I, I don't think that will happen. Um, but I think it, it's not done in a night. Like Nick said, you need, you can't, it's not one game. It's not two games. You need to just give him the season. You need to see what he can bring. You need to see what he can change to this offensive playbook. So I think that there's a reason to be optimistic for those fresh ideas and really to see, you know, what a new guy can bring and take away from a veteran like Gus. Darren Henshaw, your new UCF OC. Guys, as always, we appreciate all the support, the love. Um, you know, it's been amazing this season and it's only going to continue into the offseason. Uh, next week, brand new episode. As always, we're going to get into a lot of stuff. I mean, John Walker, the Harris Twins, they were just in the UA All-American game. They kind of showed out, and we'll talk about kind of where the Harris Twins might be leaning. Uh, definitely want them to come here. And much, much more regarding Transfer Portal and Signing Day coming up uh, in February. Um, guys, just to close out, prayers as always for DeMar Hamlin. Hopefully by the time this episode comes out, we've got some great news and we can all kind of uh be grateful that he's okay that's what we're just praying every day for and we hope uh we hope he's okay prayers as always and again to everybody involved him his family and friends guys this has been charge on presented by bet online we will see you next week Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.